You're listening to The Cutting Edge, presented by Hilleberg the Tentmaker. This is Petra Hilleberg, President and CEO of Hilleberg the Tentmaker. For over 45 years, we have specialized exclusively in building strong, lightweight tents and in never compromising on quality of materials or construction. From the very beginning, we have been family-owned and family-run. Our tents have become the go-to choice for discerning outdoor adventurers all over the world, and especially for those who travel in challenging terrain and conditions and who demand utter reliability from their equipment. Conceived and developed in northern Sweden, our tents are made in Europe, built to last, and offer the ideal balance of high strength, low weight, ease of use, and remarkable comfort. One thing that's always the same is that the last day that you leave and you take everything out, you feel re relieved. <laughs> like you're, it's a really exciting place to be in, but it's also a really good place not to be in, if you see what I mean, because it's, it's always moving and feels like it's alive. That was Tim Emmett talking about the weird and wild climbing of Helmkin Falls in central British Columbia. Helmkin is a massive waterfall, and over the last 10 years, a handful of climbers have invented a unique style of climbing there. Using bolts for protection, they've done the hardest pure ice moves in history, as well as routes up to seven pitches long and overhanging the entire way. Born in the UK, Tim is the consummate all-arounder. He's done a big new route in the Himalaya, climbed solid 514, won ice climbing competitions, and just about everything in between. In February, Tim and his frequent partner Clem Primrol from Slovenia freed the hardest Helmkin route yet, Mission to Mars, with the out-of-this-world grade of Water Ice 13. It extends an earlier route at the cave outer roof, creating a 40-meter route that overhangs for 30 meters, basically all on ice. AAJ contributing editor Whitney Clark interviewed Tim to learn about this new route and what the heck WI-13 is all about. So, you know, you just completed your most difficult route at Hamilton Falls, but what, you've been there many times, so why don't you start off with giving me a bit of history about the climbing there? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I got married to a Canadian girl, and... Mr. William Gadd was the uh, the only person that I knew at the time um, who lived near to where Katie and I were getting married. And I asked him if he could come to the wedding and take photos. <laughs> so he was our he was our official wedding photographer. And um, I mean, Will and I's friendship started about in uh, in like two thousand actually at the the World Cup in Austria when. I was competing and I got to the final with my friend Neil Gresham and Will was the only other person that spoke English that was in the final. Everyone else was from Eastern Europe or Russia and I guess that's when we first met each other. And when I got married in Canada and I started to live in Canada, he was really the sort of one person that I knew and um, we were like, oh yeah, we should go on an ice climbing trip. And, and he basically turned around to me one day and he's like, Tim, I've got the perfect adventure for us. Um, have a look at this and he sent me a link of a picture of Helmkin Falls and I remember the first time I saw it I was like oh oh wow that looks 
really unique, really, but mainly really difficult. Um, so, because it's so steep, you know, it's just this, this ginormous cave, which you can never really get a perspective of, of size and scale until you see someone in there or a helicopter or just some living thing in there, which you very rarely do. So, so it's um, everyone that I've been there with, when they walk in, they're just like, oh, wow, this is so much bigger than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Will and I went in there in 2010. And I distinctly remember walking in there with him and being hugely intimidated by just the sheer size and, and steepness of the cave. And I instantly thought, well, there's no way we're going to be able to climb this because it's way too hard. Um, but Will had different ideas. And I guess with all his knowledge and background and new reaching abilities, particularly with mixed climbing, um, we established a route there and, and both managed to climb it. But it was a real eye-opener because um, it was, I mean, it was hard work. You know, you had to be fit. You had to be like sport climbing fit rather than just, you know, if you're like a classic alpinist or winter mountaineer, you just didn't get anywhere really. Like you had to be able to lock off like you would if you were doing sort of 513, 514 sport climbs. And um, at the time, there weren't that many people that were doing that sort of thing really. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that all started in 2010 with Mr. William Gadd and, and it's, I've been there eight times since now, um, mainly with Clement Premel from Slovenia um, because quite often Will is gallivanting around the world being a hero. So he's not always available <laughs> to go. Um, and Clem and I get on really well and we're really good friends. We also met at the uh, Ice Climbing World Cup in 2000 in Austria too. So, um, and I've been to see Clem in, in Slovenia many times. So, a little bit of background for you there. So, yeah. So what kind of goes into the process of climbing a line there? Mm, good question. Um, people who don't know much about Helmkin Falls, which is probably most people, um, it's a really steep cave that's covered in ice, which is created by the spray from this 500-foot waterfall that's the fourth highest volume of waterfall in North America. So it's like the... I think at the the view sorry at the point which the waterfall goes over the edge and drops um, four hundred and seventy one meters I think the river's seventy five foot wide so it's like a proper river and this spray that coats the walls of this overhanging cave depending on the temperature of the the time when it reaches the wall will either be um, m- a liquid or it might be a solid so when it's really really cold temperatures what happens is the spray freezes before it gets to the cliff and then it's already like a crystalline structure and it sort of bonds onto the cliff as like snow or like snow ice but when it's um above freezing it tends to be water ice and or water and then it freezes afterwards and it's got a much denser consistency that you'd be more familiar with like traditional um, water ice so what that means is that the ice is really soft and unlike normal ice climbing, if you put an ice screw in, it just doesn't hold at all. Um, and in fact, Will Gadd did some tests um, last year to see whether uh, well, any natural protection would actually hold on this stuff. Um, and he tried ice axes and, and um, bulldogs and or spectres and ice screws and all that sort of thing. And basically none of them really worked. So when, to answer your question, 
to, to set up a new route in there, you have to place bolts to protect you because um, the the rocks, it's volcanic rock and sometimes it's really friable um, and it's not very featured. And uh, the only way of being able to pre- protect it safely is you really do have to put um, bolts in it. So what we did was um, we devised a way of using like aiders and um, a rope with um, these uh, um, we use ropemen these days which seems to work quite well and we clip those into our ice axes and we basically aid up with um, a drill kit and on a haul bag um, or on a fifi hook and we when we get to a position where we can hang off our tools we then place a bolt and uh, and then yeah we keep doing that really but it's um it actually works really well on ice because You've got your ice tools that you can place and then you can hang off those. Um, but yeah, you basically, you're aiding. If it's a single pitch, it'll take us maybe a couple of days to aid up and establish um, the line. Um, and then after that, then it's a, a matter of trying to climb it. So it, it varies a lot depending on on uh, how many pitches it is. Clem and I have, have done a lot of different climbs there over the years and also uh, I mean, the first one with Will Gad, we called it Spray On, and that was um, like a 25-metre pitch uh, that overhung about 30 degrees, I guess, and that was all, all on ice. Um, and then the year after that, we went, well, in 2012, we went back. Clem and I did this extension to Spray On through the roofs, and we ended up doing that in five pitches, but a lot of the pitches were really short because it was so steep and difficult climbing. Um, we went back the year after that and ended up putting a single pitch route, which was called um, Wolverine, which was a bit harder. And it was uh, it actually went through the same or similar amount of uh, overhanging rock through the roof that the spray on with five pitches um, that we'd done. But in one pitch, because the, the crazy thing was when we got there that year, the ground or the level of the ice that you start climbing on was about... 100 feet higher than it was the year before so instead of you actually started climbing at the top of the route that was established the year before if that makes any sense so it it does change dramatically depending on um yeah the conditions and and although it's the same destination it's always different every year with the amount of ice and the height of the floor and um all that sort of stuff Um, And then I I saw that you guys are using metal detectors to locate bolts from previous years. Yeah, yeah. That's that's very creative. (laughs) Well, I've got to give all the credit to Will for that. I mean, he was like, yeah, I've got this really good idea. I've got this idea and let's see if it works. And yeah, he turned up with a metal detector and it did work really well. The only thing with that is that it only really works when the the ice is less than uh, four or five inches thick. And when it gets uh-huh. thicker than that, it doesn't really work at all. But more recently, um, sometimes the ice is like 10 foot thick, so it doesn't really work. Um, and you can't protect that ice anyway. And it's really dangerous to climb on ice that thick because when it goes, the whole lot goes. And then you've got, you know, like tons and tons of snow and ice that is uh, yeah falling to the ground. And it it's quite remarkable how easily it breaks off it's um i mean you can pretty much like flick it with your finger from the side uh with some of these big icicles and they just snap off instantly 
it's definitely not like water ice that you climb on uh, on you know I think most people are familiar with that's like really firm and and um, quite tough mm-hmm. so are you guys um you're breaking off some of the bigger chunks to find more solid ice then well yeah the way it generally works is that when you walk into the cave you're underneath thousands and thousands of ice daggers and if one of them falls off and lands on you you're gonna die instantly and so what you do is you navigate your way into the cave by you're like well (laughs) we literally just throw chunks of ice at these things to knock them off and then we make a safe zone um so you can stand underneath the safe zone and from that safe zone then you can um start either start climbing or you can make the safe zone bigger with throwing more bits of ice at these mm-hmm. hanging daggers. But you really want to make an area where you're not underneath these things. Um, mm-hmm. And it might sound pretty wild and it is really wild, especially if you haven't been there before. But usually if it's below freezing, they don't break off. However, if um, sometimes they do every now and then, like the ones that have got water behind them. So some of them, are created from dripping water that comes through the rock, but most of them are created by spray that is um, that goes onto the, the walls from the from the waterfall. But the ones that drip, um, they tend to fall off more readily. And also, if it warms up, if it goes to like zero or sort of point plus one or plus point five or something like that, then they can also drop off as well. And uh, the other ones that can f- fall off are the ones that are being doused with spray from the waterfalls. So you, because what they, they're just growing all the time and they get to the point where they get really heavy and then they just break off. So um, what you do is you, once you've created this safe zone, you can then start climbing. And as you're climbing up, you really want to knock the, the icicles off before um you fall off if that makes any sense because if (laughs) yeah if you fall off and hit them then they can land on top of you um so you want to kind of knock them off while they're out to the side and then you create this sort of path where um once you've knocked these things off there's there's this uh thin layer of ice that's left behind them and then you can climb on that um so yeah quite often when you look at some of the routes that we've done they look like sort of runways in between these like stalactites that come off just to uh, to make it safe but then da- danny arnold this swiss climber he did something that we'd never done and he actually left some of these things on and his route that he did in 2000 and um was it 2017 it's called he called it power shrimp because these icicles that were left on there resembled a very similar shape to like a giant shrimp (laughs) so we kind of call them shrimps now because that's pretty much what they look like but if you're very gentle and when you like stand on these things and you have to have like really sharp crampons because if if you've got very sharp crampons you can like stand on them and then the points sort of dig in like claws and you don't have to kick Mm -hmm. them and if you do that, it'll probably stay there if you're really gentle. But if you, like, kick it, it'll just fall off straight away. Um, and these things are, like, 10 to 20 feet long. Um, and sometimes they're sort of two or three feet in, the, in diameter. So, yeah. So 
I guess, is the style of climbing more similar to that of mixed climbing? Yeah, well, it's it's like a um, homogenization of both. You're doing really steep moves where you have to do, um, you know, using those body tension, you're getting your feet high above your hands and maybe doing figure fours and things like that. So it's very, very similar to mixed climbing because like with ice climbing, you don't really ever get that situation unless you're on a glacier or something like that. But with mixed climbing, because you quite often going across roofs and things, you have to do the same sort of climbing. However, one of the big differences with Helmkin and mixed climbing is that because your tool placements are like 98% on ice on the, the routes that Clem and I have done and, and spray on, learning where to place your tool and where to strike in the ice takes a bit of getting used to and a bit of refinement and I think if you to put that into perspective when if you look at someone like Angelica Rayner who um, was the ice climbing world champion she's climbed D15 I mean she's absolutely amazing at, at, um, at ice and mixed climbing she came to Helmkin Falls a few years ago and um, we're, um, Clem and I set up a route called Clash of the Titans and we gave that I think it was like uh, 10 plus or something and um anyway um her uh, she had a go at that and uh it took her i think three days to climb it um and usually she like on site m10 like without even thinking about it but because the climbing is more complex and it requires a bit more sort of technique than than normal mixed climbing um it's uh, it's really i find it really engaging and really interesting climbing why don't we talk a bit about your new route yeah. mission to mars um and i guess one of my questions is is why is this one so much more challenging than the others is it just steeper or does it have to do with conditions or i guess why is it graded water ice 13 yeah yeah sure sure i mean the main thing about mission the the simple answer to this is that it's it's steeper um, than the other eats we've done there, you know. So you've got more weight on your arms and you need more fitness than you do on the other eats. And also the higher you get, the steeper it gets and the crux is right at the end. So um, it really requires a lot of um, fitness. And there's a really big move at the end, actually, which is a really hard move. And you need a, a fair bit of power in reserve to be able to do this move right at the top. And it's, I mean, the, the ice is pretty thin at the start. Um, so it's really, fra- you have to climb it incredibly carefully. If you imagine someone, if you've ever seen someone climbing ice or if you've climbed ice yourself, um, if you are the first person to climb that route in the year, you if anyone's been in that situation, I'm sure you've, you know, you have to like strike your tools a lot and you've got to clear the ice and you're really like kicking into it and you're kicking in with your feet and you're being quite heavy handed to be able to get up a route like that. Whereas if you were to climb a, a route, which someone, you know, like 50 people have done, there's going to be loads of placements all the way up it. And you can potentially climb it without striking your ice axes once. And you can just like delicately sort of climb up as if maybe like you might do if you're rock climbing, you know, you're like moving a lot more um uh, carefully perhaps well the climbing at helmkin on mission to mars is very much like the second type of climbing that i just described then because if you hit your tools into the ice you're probably going to smash it off 
because it's really thin. And, and this particular year, there'd been a warming phase before we got there. Like, and what had happened is the ice had delaminated from the rock in many parts of the cave. And so yeah, it was quite hollow. And you had to, you know, you really had to be careful not to like rip off the holes and things or, or the, the, the ice that we were using as holds. So when Clem and I were climbing it, um, we ended up having a very specific sequence that we both did pretty much identically. Um, it was like red pointing a hard route on rock where you use exactly the same holds and the same sequence. And you, you're really, really careful because if you rip one of the holes off, then all of a sudden you might not be able to do it. So you and Clem both um, climbed Mission to Mars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I guess was is it more challenging for the first person or the second person? <laughs> uh, it, you know, the only <laughs> thing that changes is the pressure. You know, yeah. Like you know what it's like when your friend sends the route that you're trying to do, and you're like, "Oh right, I, better, I, I guess I've got to do it now." And that's exactly what happened with Mission to Mars as well. But with Mission to Mars, we fell off it loads of times first, um, and it was a real. I mean, we had to fight hard. It was, it was. You know, it was so what we were looking for. Like we wanted to find something that was really going to test us, um, and I trained more than I've ever trained for mixed climbing or, or, or ice climbing or for Helmkin Falls on any of the previous trips. And I'm, I was in way better shape and Clem was in the best shape of his life as well. It was the thing with ice climbing and upside down like that is that if you put your tools into holes in the roof, then you're about 50 centimetres further away from the roof than you would be if you're climbing with your fingers. So if you want to get your feet up on the roof, you have to bring them an extra 50 centimetres above your hands. So you're fully, fully upside down. And also because you haven't got, you can't heel hook anything because you don't have heel spurs. You can only use the front points um, of your toe. Um, so it's, um, you can't climb upside down in the same way that you can when you're rock climbing, using your heels and squeezing and stuff like that. So it's very physical. Like Clem has been training on this route in Italy uh, and also at home in Slovenia. And he's been training on the same route for the last 20 years since he started doing the Ice Climbing World Cup, or these two training zones. And uh, there was one particular route um, that was given M12 that he um, has been training on over the years. And he would climb it with a weight vest and then wait 15 minutes and then do it again with a, with a weight, weight vest. And he just said, you know, it wasn't that hard really. And he's, he's never been able to do that with such a short rest especially wearing a weight vest too. And he was also doing this other route with a weight vest that I think was M10. And he'd go up it, down it, up it, down it, up it and down it, like without touching the ground. So that's why we feel fairly confident that the grade is what, you know, I mean, we, we, it's not an overinflated grade at all. Um, um, I mean, I was thinking of giving it 13 plus, but I thought 13 was like a, it was a respectable grade. So that if anyone went to, to do it then they think it was it was the right one you know so yeah we were in pretty good shape this year yeah it sounds like <laughs> um yeah. speaking of grades <clears throat> there's obviously been a bit of controversy <laughs> about you know the high grades that you guys have given the climbs there yeah um you know in a more traditional ice climbing the grades often result from you know 
a high degree of danger or bad or no pro. And, you know, since you guys are play or have bolts, um, that's not quite, you know, you, you don't really have that danger aspect. I mean, of course the falling daggers of ice is scary, but, um, I guess like why give it a water ice grade if it's so clearly different than traditional ice climbing? Yeah, sure. Whitney, I mean, it is honestly the first time we went in there and we gave it, we gave spray on WI10. We knew that we were going to get lots of people going, what, what, you know, like you can't do that. It's not, you know, it's got bolts and da 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 da. And it's like, it's really, really simple. Like it's basically um, the same, the equivalent grade of climbing mixed, but it's on ice. So we wanted to differentiate the difference between mixed climbing and ice climbing and that's why we gave it the wi grade and um i mean for sure it is different to normal ice climbing and um and maybe it should have its own unique helmton falls grade because let's face it there's not really anywhere else in the world apart from i mean i've climbed a route at brandywine falls in um, just down the road from squamish which uh which is the nearest thing i've found anywhere in the world to Hampton Falls, but that's on rock and it's mixed climbing. It's not ice climbing at all, really. So, um, but then we thought, well, you know, that's so niche. Like, how are people going to understand what that grading system is? I mean, we thought, well, maybe we could give it a spray ice grade. Maybe that would be a, a more um, logical grade for it. Um, but, I mean, in, in a nutshell, if you can climb M10, um, then you've got a chance of being able to climb a WI-10 at Helmpen. Um, if you climb WI-6 or even 7, will you be able to climb a WI-10 at Helmpen? Probably not, unless you've been training a lot or you're, you, know, you can climb 5.13 or 5.14 on, your, on, your, on rock. So it's, um, it's purely a gauge and a representation that people can uh, relate to in some way of the physical difficulty while you're climbing on ice. And I don't know, I mean, I'm totally open to people coming up with ideas of how they think it should be graded, but it's just, um, yeah, it's what we've been doing over the years to give people an idea of what it's like. Sure. And I think, I mean, ultimately it doesn't really matter I don't think for you guys it's about ego I think it's more just trying to help people understand but obviously it's been it's upset some people <laughs> but you know yeah yeah but you know I, I I'm I don't mind that you know I'm like it, it just it is what it is and until you go there and you experience it yourself then you don't really know it's do you know what it's so absolutely utterly amazing going in there and climbing in there. I don't really care what people think because it's just so, it's so mega. It's just, honestly, it's it's absolutely mega. It's just so otherworldly. I mean, I've been ice climbing all over the world and I've traveled to many places and been to Pakistan, India, Himalayas, like, you know, I've climbed in Canada, ice climbing, like I've been to Stanley Headwall, like Scotland, all over the spot, really. And each place has got its own challenges and, and it's each sort of unique beauty. But Helmkin Falls is totally wild. It's really, the, 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 one of the things that, about it that's so amazing is that it's 
it, it feels and sounds like it's alive. It's living because the what happens is the waterfall is so noisy and there's such a high volume of water in there that it, there's always things breaking inside this cone. And the cone is huge. It's like, I mean, it's hard to know exactly how big it is, but we're guesstimating. It's like some, some years it's like 150 foot deep, like 15 stories deep. And what happens is the waterfall goes into it. Um, it just builds up with ice like all the time. Imagine when it's like minus 20 or minus 30, the amount of the speed in which the ice is growing in there. And then, of course, it gets so huge that it collapses. And the, the sounds that it makes when that happens, and it happens all the time, you know, I mean, when you've been in there as much as we have, you kind of get used to it. But um, I remember the first few times, yeah, you, you'd hear one of these, like, it'd just be this monumental, like, crash, like, someone had just, like, um, that uh, demolished the building. And it's so loud, and it, like, booms through the cave, and it's... Um, and it shakes the ground sometimes as well. And you're like, it is really unique. And like the, the, the actual hole that the waterfall goes into, it's got to be at least 200 feet from one wow. side to the other. I mean, it's absolutely enormous. And uh, yeah, it's, um, it's just, I don't know. I think this, I was talking to a friend of mine about this, actually. It's um, waterfalls or climbing next to waterfalls or climbing next to moving water adds an element to the experience, whether you're deep water soloing or climbing on the sea cliff or climbing in Yosemite next to one of the big waterfalls there. It really adds a, 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 another aspect to the experience um, when there's moving water nearby. And Helm can really, wow, takes that to the next level. Yeah, it sounds like you're kind of in the firing zone all the time when you're in the cave. <laughs> Yeah, so it feels like that. It feels like that. But when you, I mean, I remember Will um, writing about Helmkin to give people an idea of, of what it's like. And I think he equated it to, it's, I mean, it's, it's like being in an alpine environment. You know, you have to be like game on. You, you've got like crevasses there and um, there are potential hazards that you are not in control of. So it's definitely more risky than a normal men well saying that i don't totally agree but, but i was going to say a normal ice climbing environment but that's i mean i've been in some really really dangerous ice climbing environments especially with like avalanche um scenarios above and and also sun hitting icicles high up on the wall um you know it can be really really dangerous too so i think i mean ice climbing has definitely got a higher level of risk than, than most rock climbing but um helmkin's definitely like uh like being in an alpine you know an alpine playground where you've got many more aspects that you in fact that you have to deal with have you guys had any kind of close calls sort of i mean <laughs> it's all relative in it <laughs> um yeah i mean like for example <laughs> uh one of my friends chris geisler he went in there a couple of times and he one of the times he went in there, I think he went in there in December. And the thing is, is that in December, there's no cone. Um, and what happens is when in like February, the cone's grown enough so that it protects the climbing area from the spray. 
Whereas in December, um, what we realised is that if there's no cone there, you just get absolutely sort of bombarded with spray. You know, like you imagine standing on a, a on a pier down by the sea with like a force 10 storm and you're just getting absolutely soaked by huge volumes of water. I think it's a bit like that. But um, yeah, he was, uh, he ended up putting up a route. He was establishing a route one day um, and he put in, I think, eight or nine volts. And then he went home or went back to where he was staying. And then he went in there the next day and it was all gone. <laughs> a whole lot had all fallen down. So, you know, that the, the way in which the cave was created is a very natural process on a huge, huge scale. I mean, it was actually created by um, lava pouring down this valley and then being eroded um, by the water over hundreds of thousands of years. And because it's such a big cave that's so steep with kind of such unstable rock that it does exfoliate. And quite often um, when the buildup of ice on the rock is so thick and heavy that it just rips the rock off the face you know like and and we've been there a few times where um there'll be these areas of rock like the size of a tennis court which have just been cleared um and it'll be that there'll be ice over the whole face apart from this one zone and it'll be black rock and then there's like loads of debris on the ground underneath on the ice underneath so um as close calls go I mean you've definitely got to be heads up I mean it's um as I said to you before when we whenever we leave I'm always relieved that we don't have to go back in there again <laughs> you know but then yeah but then, then next each... year you go back <laughs> I know I know because it's so it's just so brilliant You can find lots of video of climbing at Helkin online, including a clip of this year's route from John Glassberg of Louder Than Eleven, who shot the photo of Mission to Mars we're using with this podcast. We'll be putting that clip on the Cutting Edge website. So thanks, John, and thanks to Tim and Whitney for doing this interview. The Cutting Edge podcast is presented by Hilleberg the Tentmaker. You can find tons of information about their bomb-proof tents and order their catalog at hilleberg.com. Until next time, this is Dougal McDonald, editor of the AHA, wishing you happy climbs.